0: Mark four uh, thirty-five at the end of the chapter, page seven sixty seven in your pew Bible. When you find that, I'm going to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Mark four thirty-five. On that day, when the evening came, Jesus said to them, Let's go over to the other side. After dismissing the crowd, They took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and the other boats were there. And a fierce gale of wind developed, and the waves were breaking over the boat, so much that the boat was already filling with water. Yet Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he got up and he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down. And it became perfectly calm and he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you have no faith? And they became very much afraid and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? The title of the message this morning is Resting in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we love you today. You are great and glorious. You are wonderful and worthy. We exalt you and we magnify you. We exalt in you today. What joy is ours. To get to be called by your name. To get to be filled with your spirit. To get to hold your very words in our hands and study them. Take them into our hearts. And live them out freely and openly in the world around us. What joy is ours to get to gather together with people we love and people who love us. Sing your praise. Cry out to you with each other and for each other to study Your Word. What joy is ours to know Your Word is true. Jesus is risen. Your Spirit lives within us. Father, while we have all of these joys, we often live in a very hard world. Things are difficult. Storms come at us. Difficulties come into our lives. Joy can be hard in those moments. Father, today, as we look at this passage and we try to learn what it means to rest in Jesus. Let us take this to heart. Let your spirit take it and make the word living and active and shove it deep into our heart that it would produce good fruit of joy and peace, regardless of any circumstances we are currently in or what circumstances we may find ourselves in in the days to come. Let the message today encourage us. the message today strengthen us. the message today draw us closer to Jesus, that we would love Him more, we would know Him better, and we would proclaim Him more openly. Fill me with Your Spirit today and give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Help me not to say anything that You don't want me to say. Just let me speak Your words and Your ways for Your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you like me to be seated? Now this passage is encouraging and powerful, I feel. It has so much to teach us about how we pass through the storms we're going to face in our lives. Now as we, before we get started, I I want to point out a few things. One is, storms can happen in our lives time, right? A common teaching in our day is that if you have enough faith and if you live faithfully, then God kind of is kind of like a linebacker and He protects you from all the difficult hardships of life. And if there's ever a storm, if there's ever a difficulty that comes into your life, it's because you don't have enough faith. You're not active enough in your service to Jesus. You're not devoted to Him. And what I want you to see is how bogus that idea is. Jesus tells them, let's cross over. They immediately do what Jesus says to do. They do it the way Jesus says to do it. Jesus is literally beside them. And the waves and the storms come at them. If you're going through a storm today... The devil will tell you, and that's who tells you, that storms don't come if you're faithful. That's who tells you storms don't come if you have enough faith. It's certainly not God. It's not the Holy Spirit. It's not Jesus. It's not God's Word. Make no mistake, it is the enemy of your souls trying to convince you this is what's happening. Don't believe it. You can be in the very center of God's will doing exactly what Jesus would want you to do in exactly the way He wants it done. And life can still be brutally hard because storms will come. A second thing I want us to understand before we get into this is what we're going to talk about today is not four steps to avoid the storms of life or four steps to overcome the storms of life. Nowhere in God's Word teaches us How to make the storms go away. Nowhere in God's Word teaches us how to avoid them. What God's Word does teach us though is how to survive the storms. How to even in some ways thrive in the middle of a storm. How to keep going so that we pass through the storms. And in what we're going to look at today, even how to be at rest in the middle of the storms we face. Now, if you see in verse 35, Jesus has just finished teaching. He's done all of these things. We see in verse 34 and 35, he's taught them in parables. He's given all this stuff. And in essence, what Jesus is saying is it's time to move on. I've done everything I came to do here. It's time to go somewhere else. And so he says to them, let's go to the other side. So they dismiss the crowd. They get in a boat and they head over. And you see in verse 37, a fierce gale of wind developed. In my Bible, it says developed. And it carries with it the idea of suddenness. I I think in a ways what we're meant to get from this is it's smooth sailing. And then all of a sudden, boom, there's this terrible storm that comes upon them. You know, the storms of life are often sudden like this. I mean, there are times we can see kind of, not in the future, but you know what I mean, you can tell Things are struggling here. Things are struggling there. I'm probably going to have problems down here at some point. I need to prepare for it. But you know, there's also times where as far as we can see, it, it's smooth sailing. Nothing, nothing is bad. Nothing is wrong. And then all of a sudden, everything goes sideways. Just an easy trip can end in disaster. A routine checkup can reveal a serious health issue. What appears to be a healthy marriage can suddenly dissolve when one spouse walks away refusing to return. A child raised to know Jesus can suddenly make terrible and decidedly sinful decisions. Going in for a normal day at work can result in being downsized. Any number of circumstances can suddenly come into our lives and and cause us to be in the middle of a storm. But not just a storm. Notice in verse 37, again, Mom says a fierce gale of wind, a fierce storm. The Greek word is megas, which I guess means enormous storm. You might even say it was an unusually powerful, powerful storm. So much so that they were afraid. Now keep in mind, what are the majority of the disciples of Jesus? Fishermen. They sail and they fish on these, on these seas regularly. This storm is so severe, they're afraid for their life. It's an unusually powerful storm. The waves were beating on the boat and were going over the boat. And the boat was beginning to fill with water. Luke records the storm was so great the disciples were in danger of dying, of being overturned. So here they are, they're in the will of Jesus, with Jesus, calm seas, and then suddenly, an enormous storm is overtaking them, and they're fearing for their lives. Do you ever feel this way when a storm would come into your life? A storm that comes with such intensity, we feel as overwhelmed as, and as fearful for our lives as the disciples did at this moment. Times when one thing after another beats upon us. It's just like there's no good news. There's no reprieve. There's no help. We, we, we just need that one piece of peace. One moment of peace and boom. Something else assaults us. We just need one small piece of good news and and boom, something else assaults us. Just we need a moment of calm, but something else comes upon us and and fear and negative thoughts and doubts and stress. And all of these things just well on us one after the other until we're overwhelmed and we feel like we're about to die. And then you see verse 38, Jesus is asleep on the stern, on a cushion, completely unbothered. A mega storm is attacking the ship. It's beating the boat. Water is coming in. The disciples fear for their lives. And the one they have devoted their lives to is asleep at the stern, on a cushion, unbothered. So the disciples, they go to Jesus and they do what the storm did and they woke him up and they they said to him, don't you care? Don't you care that we're going to die? That they expressed to him their their fear, their feelings of being overwhelmed. They even question Jesus's love and concern for them. Now. It would be easy to criticize the disciples for these feelings at this point, but I, for one, can relate to them. There have been storms that came into my life, and I wondered. I wondered if Jesus was sleeping rather than watching. I wondered if He cared because I felt as though I was about to die. I wondered if, if I was lost. And that's why Jesus wasn't hearing my prayers. So I I get their feelings. I relate to their question. Jesus, though, he doesn't even respond to them at first. He gets up. He rebukes the wind. He tells it. I still prefer the old King James. Peace. Be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. Now, interesting. This is kind of a cool thing that we don't see in the English. But in the Greek... The word perfectly is, again, megas. And it's teaching us that the calm that came after the storm, when Jesus spoke to it, was as great and as big as the storm that raged just a moment before. Right? It's an intentional wordplay to show there's a great storm. but Then Jesus gets involved and there's a great peace. That's good stuff, I think. Jesus makes this statement to the disciples. Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? I I, I listened to a sermon on this. And the pastor said that the word for fear or afraid. It carried with it the idea of being completely devoid of faith. It's a different Greek word than the one used in verse 41 when they were afraid. Uh, The one in verse 40 pictures an overwhelming dread. My greek dictionary backs up the sermon by saying that the word in verse 40 why are you afraid the dread there it means dread and by implication faithless and even jesus's wording seems to implicate this do you still have no faith they they were so afraid that their faith kind of left them in that moment when it was over after jesus had Rebuked them, and after he had stopped the wind, they became very much afraid of Jesus. And the fear there is more like awe, the fear of the Lord. They were kind of overwhelmed at how great Jesus was. Their view of Jesus had completely changed. Their fear is what you would think of as the fear of the Lord, the awe of the Lord. They were awed. They were amazed by how great and powerful He was. Their view of Jesus had been greatly elevated. What they had just experienced In this storm Something I thought about As I was studying the passage Is what Jesus is doing In the storm He's resting He's sleeping on the cushion And since Jesus is our example in all things And we're to become like Jesus In all things I believe we, we are supposed to emulate Jesus in this And I believe we can Emulate Jesus in this We can Go through the storms in the same way he went through the storms. We can rest rather than rush. We can be at peace rather than panic. Billy Graham once said, In Christ we are relaxed and at peace in the midst of the confusion, bewilderments, and perplexities of this life. Yes, the storm rages, but our hearts are at rest. We have found peace at last. The storm rages. But our hearts are at rest. I love that. That's what I want for my life. And I believe that rest that's described here. Is available to us regardless of the circumstances we find ourselves in. I believe we can have this rest in times of peace. In times of calm. And in times of storm. But the key is what Jesus talks about in verse 40. Do you have no faith? Their lack of faith in Jesus is what cost them their peace from Jesus. And it kept them from resting in Jesus. Had they trusted, just trusted Jesus, they would have had peace and they wouldn't have been able to rest despite the storm. So the key truth for us Trusting Jesus enables us to rest in Jesus regardless of the circumstances. Our trust in Jesus enables us to rest in Jesus regardless of the circumstances. Now, our trust in Jesus, I think, from what we look at in this passage, must be expressed in at least four ways. Four ways from this passage, probably more overall, but these four for certain. First, we must trust the words of Jesus. Right? Verse 35. Jesus said to them, let's go over to the other side. Jesus didn't say they were going to go halfway across and then capsize. He he didn't say we're probably going to go to the other side. He said, let's go. We're we're going to the other side. We might say, well, that's just a minor thing. That's just how people talk. But I don't believe it is. Jesus is the Son of God. He is God in the flesh. He is the omniscient one. He knew the storm was coming. The storm caught them by surprise, but the storm didn't catch Jesus by surprise. So when Jesus said, let's go to the other side, he he knew there was a storm coming and he still said, just trust me and let's go to the other side. His words to them were intentional and they should have Trusted in what He said. Jesus said we're going to the other side. So despite the storm, we're going to the other side. We also need to trust the words of Jesus. We're going to have rest in Jesus as we go through the storms of life. Now, trusting the words of Jesus is for to have rest in the storms of life is part of the reason God's Word has been given to us. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. So that perseverance and the encouragement of Scripture, we might have hope. Biblical hope is a well-grounded, well-founded assurance. God will do exactly what He said He will do. Hope carries with it the idea of expectation. We, We expect, we anticipate Jesus will do what He said He will do. We anticipate Jesus can do what He said He would do. So, this is this book. This is why we have it. It's not a, a collection of stories. It's not just something we're to, to have. It is something to, to, to get into and to have hope from. But how do we have hope from God's Word? Well, we have to study God's Word. I can't find hope from what Jesus has said if I don't know what Jesus has said. But we We must be students of the Word of God. Now, hear me clearly. We should come to church, right? For whatever else we're going to do at our church, we're going to study the Bible. Always. We're going to gather here, and we're going to study it. We're going to study it in Sunday school. We're going to study it here. We're going to study it on Wednesday night. So, if you come to church... And you come to Sunday school and you come when we have church. You're going to be given the opportunity to study God's word over and over and over again. But we also must study on our own. It's not enough to just get at church. We must be students of the word on our own. Now, if we study our studying God's word to try to find hope to try to find comfort, to try to trust in the words of Jesus in the times of the storms, we must at some point, when we need that hope, we need that help, we must study passages that teach and talk about the greatness of God's power. So let's say you're in a storm and you, you just need to be reminded of how big and powerful God is. You might go study the creation account. where God just decides there ought to be stuff And so he speaks that stuff ought to be there and stuff comes into being. And you're reminded, wow, wow, my God's powerful. Or you might study the Exodus account, where the most powerful nation in the world is brought to its knees by a God who brings judgment on all of their false gods. Or you might study the book of Revelation. Even, you don't have to understand every jot and tittle and every scroll that unrolls. The big picture of Revelation is God rules. And when He determines history needs to be brought to a close, it will be. And Satan and all his minions and all the nations of the earth cannot stop God. Or maybe you feel weak and you need to think about how God can help and empower. So you read about men like Moses who had an anger management issue, wasn't a good speaker, and yet was able to lead God's people to the edge of the promised land. Read about David, who as a shepherd boy was able to overcome a giant, was a man after God's own heart, even though he struggled in himself with his faithfulness to God. You might read about Elijah, who was a person with like passions as us, James says. And yet he prayed, and it stopped raining for a year and a half, and he prayed again, and God gave rain out of the sky. Or if you're in a storm right now, you can find instances in God's Word where God carried people through similar storms to what you're experiencing. The Psalms are an excellent place for this. The Psalms record the thoughts, the heartaches, the the disillusionments, the fears of the people of God down through the ages. They are brutally honest with the fact that they are overwhelmed. They wonder where God is, why God is not helping they have doubts and fears. And they despair. And yet they work through it in their faith with God. And if we want to trust the words of Jesus, we can find comfort and hope in them. But we have to know. We have to know what God's Word says. Listen, I've said it before, and I will say it often. God's Word is not... Valuable as ink and letters and a book made of leather, right? If we have it and we keep it on our shelf at home and when people come over, we say, I've got a Bible right there. Look at that. It's pretty. I mean, that's that's one of the nicest Bibles I've ever had. I I love that Bible. Do you read it? Oh, no, it stays up there on that shelf in that place of honor. And, And it stays up there so everybody who comes in, when they come in, if they're sitting anywhere, you can see, I've got a Bible right there. Bible is not a good luck charm. It's not witchcraft. It's only valuable as we open it and we begin to study what it says and it renews our mind and transforms our life and strengthens our faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We must study God's Word. We must also believe God's Word. Trust and belief are essentially the same thing. I still think it's important for us to understand there is no way to find comfort and hope from God's Word unless we believe it's true. Right? Fiction stories do not give me hope or comfort. Truth gives me hope and comfort. So, and something I, I've been trying to do for the last couple of years in my life is to to have a more childlike <coughs> faith in God's Word. Not childish faith, but a childlike faith. And a childlike faith is this. You just take it at face value. I, I'm afraid what we do so many times in, in our culture, in our time, is we, we read something, like Jesus calmed a storm. And we say, absolutely, He did that. And then someone says, well, Jesus could calm a storm in your life, and we're like, ah, I don't know. I mean... Yes, He did it way back when, but that's not really the way He does anymore. He's kind of passive in our, in our life. And So we, we read something. We believe it's true because it's there. But then we come up with all of these reasons as to why it doesn't mean what it seems to mean or why it doesn't teach what it seems to teach or why God doesn't really do the things it seems to say He does. But But what if what if we just said God is the one who invented communication, therefore He can communicate clearly what He wants to communicate. And so if God said it, that's what He meant. But what if we just took it at face value and that's what it said, that must be what it means. And I'm not talking about twisting God's Word or pulling it out of context to make it mean what we want it to mean or anything like that. What I'm talking about is just saying God's Word is right. God's Word is real. Therefore, that's what I'm going to live and expect God is going to do in me and through me and for me. What what I've seen so much in, in... particularly the American church, I guess because I'm I'm an American in the American church, so I don't know what they do in other countries. And and I know what I've done. So it's not y'all. It's it's us. I know what I've done. Is I, I have read something in God's Word and it says something Jesus does or something Jesus did and say, well, I've never had an experience like that. So Jesus must not do those sorts of things anymore. Or well, that'd be weird if Jesus did something like that right now. I bet He doesn't do that anymore. And, and in doing so, I, I allow my experience or my comfort to determine what's true. I take God's Word and where it should be up here and I say, that's what's right and that's the way it is. I bring it down to the level of my experience. or I bring it down to the level of my comfort and I say, stay here, God, and only do these things. And what I'm encouraging here with Believe God's Word is what if we just didn't do that? What if we just had a childlike faith and take God's Word at face value? And when it says Jesus can do something, we just say Jesus can do that thing. And we not only say Jesus can do that thing. We say Jesus will do that thing. We live with a sense of anticipation and expectation for Jesus to do what he has said he would do. Let's refuse to lower God's word to our experience, our circumstances or our comfort. This is how we start to find comfort and hope in God's word, because. Jesus being able to, to rest in the storm or stop the storm does me no good if He can't let me rest in the storm and He can't stop the storm in my life. If He only did it then, but He doesn't do it now, there's no comfort there. There's no hope in that. Wow, Jesus was great. I wish He was more like that today. What good is that? What good is that towards the Jesus, the Bible says, is the same. Yesterday, today... And forever. This is how we start to find comfort and hope in God's word. When we trust Jesus, we we trust his word to trust his word, study his word. We believe his word. And this gives us comfort and hope. And it enables us to rest in Jesus, regardless of whatever circumstances we we face in our life. Secondly, trust the love of Jesus. Verse 38, this mega storm, it causes the disciples to wonder if Jesus cared. They asked him specifically, Don't you? They didn't think it. They didn't wonder it to themselves. They asked, Don't you care? We're going to die. And all of my commentaries and sermons I've heard give the disciples a great deal of flack over this. But again, I can't do that because I get it. I mean, I'm sure as fishermen, they did everything they knew to do, don't you? Don't you imagine they tried to, to sail in the storm and all the sailing stuff they knew how to do and they tried to fix it in all the ways they tried to fix it. And and, and they're probably, in my mind, I imagine them, they're doing whatever it is they're doing. You know, Whatever you do with the ship, I don't know. That's the army. And, and while they're done it, Jesus, and they're going... I bet mean, he could do something. I mean, he could at least help them pull on a rope like we are. I mean, and they're, they're doing all they can. And, and he's over there just taking a nap, snoring up a storm. Just everything's fine. And, and so I, I can see from their perspective, it might seem as though Jesus didn't care. Well, the biggest way Satan and our sinful nature can mess with us in the storms of life is to convince us to define Jesus' love for us in light of our circumstances. Look at the lens of your circumstances. If Jesus loved you, would your life be this hard? If Jesus loved you, would this issue be this difficult? If Jesus loved you, would you still struggle with this sin? Why, when that person was delivered, have you not been delivered? Why, when that person was made better, were you not made better? Why, when your when this child was healed, was your child not healed? Why? Why is this happening? Surely Jesus doesn't love you. And on and on it goes. And again, I'm not going to give anybody flack for having the why questions. Those are legitimate. And they're real and they're they're hard. They can be brutally hard at times. And I, I can't give an answer to the why of these sorts of questions. I wish I could, but but I can't. And while I can't give a a definitive why these happen, I can say with absolute confidence our circumstances do not dictate, determine, or even faithfully demonstrate Jesus' love for us. But something does. There is something that we can look at and we can say, "By, by that I know Jesus loves me. And His love is unchanging and unshifting. And I don't understand any of this. But I know my Savior cares. Let me show you this. Turn to Romans 8. Page 863. The clock's wrong, so don't worry about that. Romans 8, verse 35 Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, trouble, persecution, famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Just just as it is written, for your sakes we are killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to the slaughter, but in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing are able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Probably a familiar passage, but despite its familiarity, it's one we should come to often when we're in the middle of a storm. It's one we should come to often when we wonder why, and the devil in our flesh is trying to tempt us to define Jesus' love in light of our circumstances. We must come to this, we must study this, we must believe this, that every single word is true. What can separate us from the love of Christ? What can happen in your life and mine to demonstrate Jesus doesn't love us or to pull us out of Jesus' love for us? He then gives several terrible things that these circumstances at which we would all say are very bad things. And he asks, can these things show us Jesus doesn't love us. I mean, if, if if we suffer tribulation, right, if our faith in Jesus or tribulation is just any sort of hardship or anxiety we don't know how to resolve. So if, if I suffer anxiety, fear and have no idea how to resolve it, if I have it, Jesus doesn't deliver me the moment I pray for it, does that mean Jesus doesn't love me? Or, or trouble. Trouble would... Um, just be any sort of issues that we may face in life If I have a problem life Does that mean Jesus doesn't love me? Persecution If I suffer for my faith in Jesus Does that show Jesus isn't real? And Jesus doesn't love me? Famine I don't have enough to eat I'm Suffering from poverty Does that mean Jesus doesn't love me? Nakedness being stripped of not just clothing, but probably sort of all our earthly comforts. If I don't have as much as other people do, does that mean Jesus doesn't love me? If I suffer danger, being exposed to dangers beyond our control, is that a, a sign Jesus doesn't love me? The sword. The sword probably specifically referred to being martyred for our faith in Jesus. But it wouldn't be a stretch to apply this to any sort of life-threatening issue, physical violence of some sort, car wrecks, disease, some sort of terminal illness, something along those lines. If I face a life threatening danger, does that mean Jesus doesn't love me? And none of us would deny these are bad things. These are hard things. But that's not the question. The question are the question is do these things separate us from the love of Christ? Do these things show Jesus does not love us? And the answer is no. Circumstances, no matter how good or how bad, are not accurate indicators of Jesus' love for us. We see in verse 37 that even in the midst of all these things, right? But in all these things, so it's the tribulation, trouble, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and sword, in all of those things, we overwhelmingly conquer through Jesus. Ultimately, there is always victory in Christ. And those of us who are in Christ get to be a part of the ultimate victory. Jesus has set us aside for Himself. We are His. And those things do not change that. And for he, Paul is convinced that, that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Right? Not, not death. When we die, that doesn't mean Jesus has stopped loving us. Nor a life. We live a long life. Nope, that doesn't separate us. Angels or principalities. That would speak of probably... Evil spiritual forces, they, they, they can't separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing in the world that's going on right now can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing that, that's coming in the world can separate us from the love of Christ. No powers, nor height, nor depth, nor, nor anything in all of creation can separate us from the love of Christ. How can we know that? The love of God. How can we know that? Because it's in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Right. And so what do we look at? How did Jesus secure so we always know God loves us? Well, He died on the cross for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5 So no matter what we're going through, our circumstances don't determine or dictate or or even reveal the love of God for us, the love of Christ for us. The, the cross does. And, and this is a shift we have to rip, we have to go through. Again, if you go ahead and turn back to Mark, our culture and, and that same sort of message of if you just have enough faith, bad things don't happen. That message defines God's love and favor for you as the prosperity and health you experience. That, that is nonsense. That, that is a demonic lie. And it is not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The love of God is demonstrated, not in the riches we have, but in the cross. And we can look at the cross and we can say, Jesus loves me. God loves me no matter what is going on in my life. I do not believe there's any way to keep the why questions from coming during the storms of life. But at the same time, I don't think there's anything wrong. With asking the why questions in the storms of life. However, we must not let the why questions destroy us. We must be absolutely certain the cross of Christ perfectly and forever settles Jesus' love for us. If we are to rest in the storms, we must trust Jesus. And to trust Jesus, we must trust he loves us regardless of what's going on. Thirdly, we must trust the lordship of Christ. Jesus gets up and he tells the storm, "Peace, be still," and it does. The storm not only stopped, but the calm following it was every bit as great as the storm that raged. I mean, that's powerful. I'm not sure exactly who the disciples... I mean, they, they seemed to not have a 100% idea of who Jesus was at this point. They, they had an idea, but they weren't just 100% sure. But they did believe He was something, somebody important, somebody great, somebody powerful. I mean, that's why they woke Him up. They woke him up believing he could do something, but then when he did the something he could do, they were sort of amazed that anybody could do what he did. There's almost a a contradiction that they had. But had they known, had they known Jesus was going to, he could just rebuke the wind and stop it at will, I think they would have been at rest like he was they would have said if he can stop the wind just by then he can make sure we don't tip over we don't get overflown with water we don't sink and end up dead had they known the power of Jesus the lordship of Jesus over the storms they wouldn't have feared quite so much now you and I we have an advantage over the disciples we know the power and the greatness of Jesus we know the story he wasn't threatened by the storm He exercised full control over the storm. And the term for this is lordship. The earliest creed of the church of Jesus Christ was Jesus is Lord. And that wasn't just a snazzy saying. It was an actual reality of life. Jesus was Lord and not Caesar. Caesar could do nothing except what Jesus allowed. Jesus was Lord. And they knew Jesus was. Had the power and authority and the right to do, cause, allow, stop anything as He sees best for all of eternity. And in many ways, the Lordship of Jesus is the theme for the next little bit in, in Mark. Right? We we look and we see Jesus is Lord over the storm in, in this passage. Matthew and Mark five one through twenty. Jesus is Lord over evil spirits as He. Cast out the legions of demons out of a man. Jesus is Lord over sickness as He heals a woman with an issue of blood. Jesus is Lord over death as He raises a young girl from the dead. Jesus is just Lord. And there's comfort that comes from knowing Jesus is Lord, but trusting the Lordship of Jesus. When we trust the Lordship of Jesus, we trust our lives are in His hands, come what may. That no matter... How sudden the storm was that came upon us. It was not out of His control. He did not lose control. He's actually not asleep. He can do anything He wants to do in the middle of the storm. And if He determines to stop it, He can stop it. Or if He wants to protect us as we go through it, He can do that as well. He can do anything He wants to do because He is Lord. And our lives are in His hands and nothing can snatch us. From His hands. He can fix any problem. He can keep us through any issue. He can do anything He wants to do. Our God is in the heavens. And He does whatsoever He pleases. When we trust the Lordship of Jesus. We can rest in Jesus. Regardless of the circumstance. And then finally. Trust the purposes of Jesus. What Jesus did. To the storm. Altered the disciples' reality. They had one view of Jesus. They thought He could do something. But gracious, they didn't really think He could stop the whole storm and all the seas. Their view of Jesus was forever altered at this point. It is elevated. He is far greater than they anticipated. He is far more mighty than they ever understood. Holy cow, what He can do is unbelievable. And I think what they experienced in the storm, in some ways, is going to prepare them for these next few things we just talked about. They've never met a man possessed with legions of demons. kind of healing and raising from the dead, that's not what normal Jewish culture, that typically doesn't happen. Jesus used the storm to teach them about his lordship so they could have a better idea of who he was and what he came to do. Now, God's word doesn't say Jesus sent the storm. And so I I don't know. I can't say for sure if he did. But what I can say for sure is Jesus used the storm to accomplish something he wanted accomplished in their lives. He wanted them to have an elevated view of him. He wanted them to understand he was Lord. And so he worked through the storm that terrified them, made them feel overwhelmed and showed them in a greater level who he was. The Lordship of Jesus doesn't mean every event or circumstance or storm that comes into our life is His will. It doesn't mean Jesus sent every bad thing that comes into our life. I can confidently say any number of events and circumstances people experience are clearly not Jesus' will. But people can act in ways that are contrary to... To the will of Jesus. Let, let me give you an example. Salvation. Now, God's Word tells us it's not His will for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And, and yet the reality is some do perish. Some do not come to repentance. Many in our community actively, daily choose darkness over light, refusing to repent, and they will come into judgment at some point in the future. That's clearly not what Jesus wants. That's clearly not His will. Yet He is still Lord. And this is just one example among many demonstrating not every event or every circumstance or everything that happens is Jesus' will. The Lordship of Jesus doesn't mean everything that happens is His will. But the Lordship of Jesus does mean Jesus is able to turn every event, every circumstance, everything, no matter how bad it is, into a win. For our good and for his glory. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Now, it doesn't say God causes all things. It says God causes all things to work together for good. It doesn't say all things we experience are good. It says God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him, to those who are seeking to fulfill God's purpose for their lives. What this means is God is so great and God is so good, he can work through the worst storms we experience and he can bring some sort of a win out of them. And there is just a multitude of ways Jesus can bring good out of the bad circumstances we go through, right? He can work through them to make us more like Himself. But the good that this talks about is primarily to be more like Jesus. This is the point. We were saved to become like Jesus. Jesus works through our trials to strengthen our faith. As we go through these hardships, as we experience the difficulties, our faith is strengthened. We learn to persevere. We learn Jesus is greater than we ever imagined. Jesus works to forge godly character in us through the storms and the fires we face. Jesus works to get us back on track. Now, I like this because this is a balance we have to have. Not every storm that comes into our life is because we've strayed. But some could be. If I'm straying and I'm going off the path that Jesus wants me to go on, Jesus is really concerned about my being on the right path and my salvation. So he is willing to make me uncomfortable in the moment, to make my life difficult here, so that I'll correct my course and go back. That's what it talks about in Hebrews chapter 12. So every hardship and every storm isn't because we've strayed, but some certainly could be. Jesus works to equip us to comfort others. Have you ever had somebody never go through anything hard? And in the middle of their hardness. They try to give you these bumper sticker words of comfort. It's going to be okay. Everything will work out in the end. Don't be afraid. Those are all helpful. Gosh I never thought about those things. But somebody that's been in the fire. Somebody that's gone through the storm. Can say hey. Here's some things you're going to be worrying about. Here's some things you're going to experience. Here's some stuff that's going to happen. Here's in the Bible. Here's what Jesus is going to do. Now that. That's helpful. Right? So sometimes in the middle of our storm, what Jesus will use our storm to do is to equip us to help other people as they go through their storm. Jesus works to make us more dependent on Him. 2 Corinthians 12, Paul has a thorn in the flesh and he prays for Jesus to take it away and Jesus literally says no. Three times. I'm not going to. It hurts. It's making him miserable. It was a bad thing. He was experiencing his life and Jesus literally said no, I'm not going to enjoy it. Why? Why would Jesus do that? Because, He says, My strength is perfected in your weakness. Sometimes the storms, they just reveal to us we're not quite as awesome as we thought we were. I don't know about you, but I can deceive myself into thinking I'm pretty awesome. I mean, I, I, I can... I'm pretty sharp, I know some things, I can do some stuff. And then just suddenly, poof, wow, I'm not any of those things. I desperately need Jesus. So He can use the storms, He can work through them to make us more dependent on Him. There's many more. I mean, we could spend all day just on that. These give us a good picture of the purposes of Jesus and the storms of life. Well, the storms themselves may not be good. The Lordship of Jesus ensures He can bring good out of it and use them to further His purposes for our lives. Trusting the purpose of Jesus enables us to rest in the storm, enables us to rest in Jesus regardless of whatever circumstances we face. Storms will come and storms will be hard. But take heart, you disciples of Jesus. Trust The words of Jesus. Trust the love of Jesus. Trust the lordship of Jesus. And trust the purposes of Jesus. Jesus will see us through. And we can have rest in Jesus. Regardless of the circumstances. What what I want to do is give us a time to respond. And I was praying for how to. What kind of response to give. And and I guess I want to do it in, in two ways. One. Or three ways. One. Trusting in Jesus so we can rest in Jesus requires us to know Jesus. If you have never personally repented of your sins and believed in Jesus, this is your greatest need. You cannot trust Jesus or rest in Jesus without knowing Jesus. And that begins by being saved by Jesus. It's your decision. But Jesus calls you to come to Him. Jesus urges you to come to Him. But Jesus does not force you to come to Him. And absolutely no one else but you can make that decision. Your mom and your dad, your husband, your wife, people who love you cannot save you, cannot call on Jesus to save you and you're saved because of them. You must repent. You must believe. You must follow Jesus. So if you have never made that decision, this is where everything has to start always. Always. Secondly, maybe you're in a storm and you just need to pray for Jesus to to help you to trust Him more. There is mercy and grace to help you at the throne of grace to suffer through this, to get through this, to trust Him in the ways that you need. Spend this time crying out to Jesus to strengthen your faith, to help you to trust and to endure the storm well. And then thirdly, Maybe you know someone that's going through a storm. It's not you, but someone you know, someone you love. Spend this time praying for them. Pray they would trust Jesus. Pray the devil would not deceive them and lead them astray. Pray that Jesus would cause speak peace into their storm and cause it to stop. Let's pray for one another. All right, so I must you to.